0: Okay, we are in Matthew, chapter 7, verse 15, continuing on the chronological life of Jesus, just nearing the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew, chapter 7, verse... I'm sorry, verse 13. Matthew 7, verse 13 is where we left off. So let's read Matthew seven thirteen. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow, that leads to life. And there there are few who find it. So, remember what the, the Sermon on the Mount is, as a unit. It is a repudiation of Pharisaism, where Jesus takes the different sayings of the Pharisees and dissects them and comes wholeheartedly against them and puts over that the Word of God. That is what the Sermon on the Mount is as a unit. It was a preaching and a teaching to the people of that time who were who were being uh, 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 pressed upon by the teachings of the Pharisees. One of the teachings of the Pharisees, which, is the, which exists in Judaism t- till today, is that if you are a Jew, you have a portion in the kingdom to come, just strictly by your being Jewish. Now, ask a Jew, what does it mean to be a Jew? And you're going to have huge, huge differences. Huge differences. Scripturally, to mean a Jew was to be a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To be a descendant of that line had to be through Jacob, because Abraham, of course, had, had another son that, that had nothing to do of, that ble- of the blessing, so it had to be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Scripturally, that's what it is. A Jew today will often say, one who follows the practices... If you speak to an Orthodox Jew, they will say only Orthodox Jews are Jews. If you're not Orthodox, you're not Jewish. So, uh, But they will agree that if you are Jewish, you have a portion in the kingdom to come. And that was the teachings of that day. That was the Pharisaic teaching. So Jesus comes with a very different word. He says, enter through the narrow gate. For the great gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. So you see, he says, not everybody has a way into the kingdom. He said it's a narrow way. This for us in the New Testament has been further refined. This has been refined for us and, and we have a precise description of what needs to be done. So if, if, um, if for example... If you read in uh, uh, Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So it's a confession with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believing in my heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. This is what it takes for salvation that I have to be willing to confess Jesus is Lord, and believe that He's risen from the dead. This is pretty important. To believe that a man has risen from the dead. That is not an easy thing to do. To believe that a man has risen from the dead. This is the bar that He has set for us. This is what He set for us. But what I want to focus in on is this way, this narrow way. He says it is a very narrow way that leads to life. And even for those, even for those that have said, Jesus is Lord, and I believe He's risen from the dead, even for those of us who have done this, we have to watch our way, not so much for the loss of salvation, but very much for the loss of all blessing that goes along with this in our lives. So, for example, turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We're going to look at the consequences of unbelief. And when you're looking at this, I want you not to look at this and say, Oh, I know a person who fits that category. Let's take that off the table right now. I want you to insert yourself into this portion to see where you could end up by hardening yourself to the things that God may want to teach you. And I will look at myself. Because remember what the the, the, uh, Pharisee did. He stood in the temple and he said, I thank you, Lord, that I am not like other men. As soon as we start thinking that we are not like others, that we are incapable of falling into things that others might fall into, that's when we have to start worrying, because before, because uh, um, that, that uh, uh, pride comes before a fall. The scripture says, "Okay, let's look in Romans chapter one, verse eighteen, and this very much fits inside the, the, this word of the narrow way." Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And exchanging the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Okay, so remember, before we say, oh, that must be uh, Jews that weren't walking. Or that must mean Gentiles that didn't believe. I want us to remember what, what what I said is that remember, let's put us in this position. It says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So in other words, if I suppress the truth that's been revealed to me. Truth has been revealed to me. Truth has been revealed to you. God's expectations upon us are higher than his expectations upon those of this world. Jesus said, to those who much is given, much is expected. The more we are given, the more is expected of us. He expects more of me than he does of my neighbors, who have very little understanding of him. And I was just telling Daniela this morning, take for example Jonah. Jonah was very much judging the Ninevites for all the wicked things that they had done, and he didn't want to go and prophesy to them a word of repentance for fear that they would repent and God would have mercy on them. And God says to Jonah, How can you be this way toward people who don't even know their right hand from their left? So God viewed the Ninevites as simple as they didn't know their right hand from their left. And there are people today that don't know their left from the right hand. There are people today. It doesn't mean you just mix it up in an instant. I mean, there are, people, there are cultures where people don't even learn the difference between the left and the right. And he says, they don't even know this. How can you hold them to this standard? He was judging them based on what they knew. But he holds them to a standard. So to us, to whom much has been revealed if we suppress the truth in unrighteousness, woe be to us. He says that the truth about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. So, in other words, there is a, there is, that God reveals something of Himself to everybody. Even to those who who are somewhere lost and haven't heard, there's something of, of God that's been revealed. There is no culture in the world where it's ever been found that it is a noble thing to flee in battle. Cowardice is universally, it is known that this is not a good thing. To cheat one's neighbor is never good. doesn't matter what culture you're in. It is never good. Certainly it happens. Certainly some will do it and laugh and encourage other people to do it. But it is known that this is not a right thing to do. There are things that we can do to suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And, and then what happens is, in verse 22, it says, "...professing to be wise, they became fools." So in other words, sometimes we can even take this, this willingness to go against God and profess and say, well, we're, we're wise and knowledgeable. This happens a lot in our culture, a lot in our culture, to think that it is, it is sophisticated to do wrong, that it's okay to do wrong. Or culture says it's okay, so I'm okay with it. No, you know in your heart it is wrong. Now, look in verse 24, what happens. Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshipped and served the creature, rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So, you see this whole thing of, of God gave them over to the lust of their hearts, to impurity. God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity. So it's as if the lust is there. And God turns them over to it. This is a scary thing. Let me tell you what happens. is People don't wake up in the morning and say, I think today I will just oppose God. I think I will just do something to really come against God. And I'm really going to sin today. That's my purpose. People don't generally do that. What happens is we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We, we, we make a decision to disobey in some little way. And what happens is God can just begin to lift His hands a little bit. He doesn't have to throw lust at us. The lust is already there in the heart. He just turns us over to the lust in our heart. All He has to do is just relieve His hands a little bit from us. And there's enough dastardly stuff there. To take us into great, great troubles. And you will see this pattern in your own life. I know, because I see it in mine. It starts having, by having some cynical view. And you start moving further and further away. And then all God has to do is to begin to, to raise His hands a little bit from us. And there is enough trash in our lives to begin to let loose. So this term... Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity. Now, let's look down at verse 26. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also, men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. So you see that this seems to be a progression and God turned them over. In other words, just lift your hands a little more. He turned them over to this and it's almost as if in our day, because of the things that are going on, if we ever speak a word that's Somehow, to say that there's sin in this world, somehow we're homophobic, or we're some sort of phobic. Let me tell you something. The Scriptures list this sort of thing right along with adultery very often, right along with fornication. I don't hate adulterers. I know many adulterers. I don't hate them. I feel sorry for them. But I can't call adultery, right? You say, well, you know, you're bigoted. You're bigoted, You're homophobic. Am I bigoted against the the polygamist? You know, can, can somebody be a polygamist? Can I not say it is wrong to be a polygamist? It is wrong to have more than one wife? Oh, that's okay to be wrong. No, this is wrong. The Scriptures speak against it. Woe is me if I don't say that. It's not that I hate the individual. Do I hate the fornicator? Do I hate students that sleep around... Before they get married? No, I don't hate them at all. I feel sorry for them. I feel sorry for them because I know what that pattern is going to bring in their lives. I know the destruction that is going to lead into their marriages. Because I know that when a woman has slept around with six other guys before her marriage and she's lived with six other guys, I know that it's going to be a lot harder to keep her pleased in marriage. I know the same thing for a man who's slept around a lot. It's going to be very hard to keep him pleased in marriage with that one woman. So I feel sorry for him. This is what the scriptures talk about. It talks about all this with one breath. Some of the best employees that I have ever had have been homosexuals. And I felt sorry for them. Wonderful people. Wonderful people. I like those guys so much. But my heart would grieve for them all the time, knowing what their lives were going to be like. The scriptures talk about God just has to lift a little bit. And these problems can start coming. Verse 28. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do the things which are not proper. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, their gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. You see this development here. He gives them over, He gives them over, He gives them over the third time, it says if we don't respond to the light that God gives us, we get released eventually upon ourselves. And that's enough, hopefully, to draw us back and to say, what's in here, what's in my heart, is really pretty disgusting. God, draw me back. Father, draw me back. So remember what he said in verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So, May God get a hold of our hearts to grieve over sin, to grieve over ungodliness and unrighteousness. And if ever it's just, oh, it doesn't bother us anymore, we really have to worry. We really have to worry. And you see this progression of these things, and not only, it says, not only do they do such things, but they give hearty approval to those who do it. We want everybody else to start sinning just like us, so it makes us feel better about ourselves. You see this progression of what happens. Rather than saying, Father, forgive me what I have done. Forgive me. You know, I, was, I heard about this website that, that encourages people to have affairs, to have adulterous affairs. So they, there's, there's, there's all this encouragement to do this. And there's this networking to do this. Well, why? Because people have these affairs... And they want to say, well, they want to give hearty approval. Just having the affair wasn't enough for them. They want to give hearty approval to others because it makes them feel better at it. So should I, am I bigoted against adulterers? I feel sorry for them. The act is wrong, the scriptures say. And that's all I go by is the scriptures. The day I stop going by these scriptures, stop coming here. This is what the scriptures say. It's not a matter of bigotry. It's a matter because I love this individual and I know the pattern of life and I know what the outcome is going to be. I have seen men who have walked in adultery and just the pain that they have brought into the lives, into their their families, into their marriages, into their children's lives. I've seen the pain. I've seen, as it talks about in Proverbs, men who had so much and they lost everything Everything, everything, including their dignity, which is the greatest thing that a man can lose through adultery. So, I know the pattern of what is lost in these sort of things. And the Scriptures talk about this. That's why the way is broad that leads to destruction. But the way is narrow that leads to life. So, even for us who are saved, there is all the more call upon us to be vigilant in our lives. Because there are things that are going to try to draw us astray. There are things that are going to try to destroy our lives. And God is calling us to something that is much greater. Okay, let's turn back to uh, Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Matthew 7, verse 15. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So remember again what this is as a unit. As a unit, this is a repudiation of Pharisaism. And Jesus said, beware of the false prophets. So what he's speaking about is these men who are instructing you, is instructing you in the traditions of men, he's saying they're false prophets. And he says, you can identify them, you'll be able to identify them by their fruits. Look at their lives. You know, one of the most compelling things for me in Christianity is the life of Jesus Christ. When you look at the man's life. I mean, the man could be very confrontational. He could be very confrontational. But you look at his life and you see that this man is so unusual. People tried to make him king and he would slip out of their midst because he would have nothing of it to prematurely be made king by by a bunch of men. Imagine the thing, if we did but one-tenth of one miracle, it would go to our head. That Jesus did, it would go to our head. So in other words, here is a man that would, you know, touch a man and he'd raise up from the dead, or raise up from his infirmity. You know, these crowds just forming. I have seen men that have been gifted. And it is a dangerous thing. Because when they're gifted, they are so easily drawn astray, because they start thinking something of themselves. Success is very hard to deal with. You look at what Jesus did, and the man was unscathed by it. <clears throat> he was, it says that he didn't need anyone to testify of men to him, because he knew what was in all men. So in other words, when people would come and try to build them up for something... He recognized what was in all men. Jesus' life—how he dealt with people, how he dealt with the sinner, how he dealt with the Pharisee—you look at his life. Jesus said, "Look at these men's lives." You know, a while ago we had a we had a gentleman and he came and he visited this class and and uh, I, he, he's kind of a a, 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 a uh, s- sort of a, a, a crusty old guy and, and he can be real critical of things. As, as many people can be when they get older, but he in particular, and he admits it. <clears throat> and and uh, um, so after I, I got done speaking, he said, let me talk to you. He said, uh, and, and this is a guy who's grown up in the church. He had huge ministry himself, and he, he's uh, in his 80s right now. He said, I've seen a lot of preachers. He said, but you're the real deal. You don't get any money for what you do. And you invite people into your home so they can see the way you are with your wife and your children. He said, that's very unusual. He said, it's one thing to stand before a bunch of people. It's another thing to have them in your home. And, you know, I knew what he was saying. I knew what he was saying. He's become real critical over the years because of things that he's seen that he's deemed hypocrisy. Now... I'm not justifying it because there's enough hypocrisy in my own life that I don't want to judge hypocrisy in another person's life. But this is what he's talking about. Jesus said, look at these men's lives. Look at their lives. And I've seen this. We've had, I remember years ago in a a former church that we were in, there was a guy who came and he he did a revival service at the church on a Wednesday night thing and they took up an offering for him and One of my friends who was bringing him back to the airport said the guy in the car was counting his money. And there was a bunch of change there that had gone in the offering plate. And he took the change and he just took this this little baggie full of change. He says, here, you can keep the chump change. And he gave it to my friend who was driving the car. And all the guy was interested, how much money did he make that night? And that left something with my friend, as it should. As it should, rather than what has God done in the lives of these people, versus what's the offering? You know, I was uh, I was uh, on on the board of a ministry for many years, and what I loved about that ministry is that the the main person in the ministry was a powerful, powerful Bible teacher. He would get invited all over. People would call up; they'd say, "We'd like to have this man visit." And we put no price on him visiting. They didn't even have to pay the travel, the ministry. We paid for his travel. Now, he's in full-time ministry, and they would take an offering for him. But he's in full-time ministry, but he, got, he gets a salary from the ministry. So any offering that was given that night, he would every penny would get made out to the ministry. He wouldn't keep any of it. He would say, it's for the ministry. He says, I already get paid by the ministry every penny. But we would never charge. And many times we would send them on a deputation to go out somewhere and speak. And it was just a small church. They couldn't even reimburse the whole cost of his travel. It didn't matter. For as, as a board, we said, this is the ministry we have. We are giving out. People contribute to the ministry. We take it and we give it turn it right around and we give back out. I was proud to be on the board of a ministry like that. We set no price to have him come. <clears throat> we didn't even say you pay for the travel. And I'm not saying that it's wrong. I'm just saying that that is, speaks of integrity. There are things that you will see where people say, well, for me to come, you've got to pay me such and such amount. Well, that's fine. I'm not sure we can raise that amount. You know, we were, we were inviting... Uh, um, someone to speak once at the university, to give a Christian talk at the university as part of of a forum that we were having. And she was flying from, you know, it was going to be like a two-hour flight or a three-hour flight. And she wanted to fly first class. She wasn't particularly old. Now, if a company wants to have me out and they fly me first class, that's fine. But never has a university flown me first class an American university ever flown me first class. I mean you just deal with it. But to put and, and to give you an idea, I I mean a flight might be three hundred dollars. The first class flight will be fifteen hundred dollars. It's a huge, huge difference in flying first class. And uh uh and this is what she wanted. I'm thinking, what is this? I mean she should be saying it, 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 no matter what the cost. I mean, you, you, you think of all these preachers that would go out on horseback trying to visit all these places just to preach the Word. It tells you something about an individual. How much am I going to sacrifice of myself? You look at men's lives. We, we had a, a a big preacher come to a church again. This was years ago. This was another person. And he was doing these revival services. And it. And I thought, I I want to get to know him a little bit better. And so we had him to our home for dinner. And, you know, things were going well in the revival. And, you know, as he's sitting around the table, I mean, just things are coming out. And you're thinking, "Why, why is this man saying things like this? These are cruel, hard things. It begins to show you something of their character. Jesus said, watch a man's life. Watch their life. Jesus said to do that. This is, not, this is not wrong of you to inspect their life. Jesus said, do it. He says, you're going to know them by the fruits they bear. Not by the words they tell you, but by the fruits they bear. I want to get to know the pastor of my church. I want to get to know them. I want to get to know their family. Because to me, that speaks volumes. I want to see the way... They relate to their children and the way their children relate to them. And I well understand there's kids that are teenagers and they can snap off and say things. This is normal family life. This is normal. It is not that everything in the home is perfect. It's I just want to see how he is in this home. This means something to me. Jesus said, watch this stuff. Watch their lives. Watch what they do. Watch the things that they do when there's not many other people around to observe it. This is what he said. He said, you will know them by the fruits that they bear. You want to call it the fruits of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you want to call it that, call it that. Look at those in a person's life. See the way they handle situations. Jesus said, that will speak to you about their character. That will speak to you. We once invited a guy, again, this was a long time ago, and I invited him to do prison ministry with us. And, and uh, this guy came in, and, and he, number one, he came late. I mean, we got guys in the prison waiting, and this guy shows up late. And then, as we're in the parking lot of the prison, he's just taking his time, changing his clothes, you know, using mouthwash and spitting it on the ground. And I said, you know, we're late. They've got these guys waiting in the unit for us. He said, let me tell you something. He said, you asked me to come here, you should have sent me some money up front to get me here. He was driving here, and the agreement was that after the prison ministry, he was going to speak at the church, and an offering would be taken up for him. But he wanted money in advance to drive about three hours to get to the prison, and then we were going to have him at our church, which wasn't far from the prison. And this guy is saying, I should have paid him up front. i thinking, this guy's character is just terrible. I would never have him again. And then after that, I told my pastor, my pastor said, we will never, never have that man back again. Just look behind the scenes a little bit, and you see the character of the individual. How much does he care for the lives in that prison? For how many men is he going to be able to touch and see their hearts saved? That's where his interest should be. Jesus said, you look at them based on the character. He says, they may even say, you know, we accomplished this, we accomplished that, we did miracles. Jesus said, have you obeyed me? Have you obeyed me? Obedience is better than sacrifice, the Scriptures say. Jesus said, if you want to abide in me, in John chapter 15, He said, you have to keep my commandments. Keep my commandments, and you will abide in me. How do you abide in God? You keep His commandments. <clears throat> he says, I don't care if you prophesied in my name, I don't care if you performed miracles in my name, I don't care what you did. Did you keep my commandments? This theme of Fear God and keep His commandments is throughout the Scriptures. Old Testament, New Testament, you see it over and over again. Uh, Praise the Lord. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in His commandments in Psalm 112. And then just list the blessings that come. You fear God and you keep His commandments. This is the basics. At the end of of, uh, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, the second to last verse, you wonder all about this book. How do you make sense of it? It says, young men, do this. Fear God and keep His commandments. This applies to everyone. You fear God, you keep His commandments. Jesus said, you keep the commandments of God. There's 150 commandments in the New Testament. That'll keep you busy. And, and uh, we will end it right there. We'll, we'll finish the Sermon on the Mount next time. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word. For the truth of Your Word. Father, I thank You. I thank You, Lord. You have chosen to leave the way broad and many would go through it, but to leave the way narrow to get to life. Father, I pray that we would not suppress the truth in unrighteousness, but the truth that has been revealed to us that we would act upon Father, that we wouldn't profess to be wise when we are fools. And Father, that we wouldn't so suppress the truth that we then encourage others to walk in a way of sin. Father, protect us from that, I pray. And Lord, I pray for these young people, that You'd give them discernment, without judgment, but discernment, because You told them to recognize people by the fruits that are there in their lives. Father, give them discernment. Let them be not deceived in their lives, I pray. And Father, I pray for them that they too would have lives that in secret, in secret, are dedicated to you. Father, your mercies abound upon them, I pray. Father, may they keep your commandments. May they keep your commandments and experience life indeed. Father, thank you for your mercies.